Welcome, I'm Laura Lee Binstock, and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Thank you for joining us for our Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast now on Mental Health News Radio Network. This podcast is also available wherever you get your podcasts, but I do suggest checking out Mental Health News Radio Network to find all your podcasts related to mental health. Today's guest is Tina Hamilton, an inner child healing coach and founder of The Healing Parent, where she works with women who are exhausted, burnt out, and frustrated in parenting or and life in general. She helps women uncover their deepest wounds and childhood messages that keep them living life in the margins and provide strategies and resources they need to break generational cycles and live life in alignment with the vision they hold for themselves. Tina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, folks, I you may be sitting in on my own coaching therapy session today, but first, <laughs> Tina, I do want to know how you got into this work. Absolutely. So I was a teacher for um, almost 20 years, actually. And um, while I was in the classroom, I really, the reason why I, I became a teacher was because I wanted to connect with kids in a way and be an adult for kids in a way that I didn't have that connection as a child. Mm -hmm. And so when I became a teacher, I was very focused on the whole student. I was a math teacher, but it wasn't just about how they were performing in math. And the more I learned about children and adolescents. And the more I observed the relationship between the parents and the adolescents, I realized that a lot of what I was seeing in the classroom, both socially and academically, really stemmed from the relationship that the child had with their parents. Um, and that during that time, I was really interested in it. I would sit in parent-teacher conferences and I would really try to get to the bottom of why parents were pushing their kids in certain ways. Um, and then during that time, I had my own child. And when you have your own child, your understanding of the world shifts. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> to, put, to put it lightly. Um, and I parented very much the same way that I was parented as a child because I didn't know any different. I thought that like a parent says what to do and the child just follows orders because that's how I was raised. Um, and my daughter really didn't buy into this idea and she pushed back on me. And every day, especially once I became a single parent, every day I would question like, what am I doing wrong? Like, why is she not falling in line, I guess you could say. And um, there, we had this one particular really rough morning where she was just being a toddler, you know, wrestling, not letting me change her diaper. And I snapped and I just lost it on her. And I, I crossed a line that I had never crossed with her before. And the way that she looked at me um, is forever like scarred in my mind. Um, she looked at me like I was a monster. Like she didn't recognize me. She didn't know who I was. And she ran to her room. She slammed the door. And at first my reaction was, who does she think she is? Like I am her mother. 
And I had every intention of going into the room and just like strong arming her out the door, like I would have done any other day. And when I opened up the door, she was sitting on the edge of the bed and I could tell that she had been crying. And she just looked at me and she said, have a seat or have a sit. We need Mm. to talk. And she was three. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) I I guess we're going to we're going to talk about this. Like it was just so jarring to me. Um, and so I went and I sat with her and she told me that I was hurting her feelings when I yelled like that. And in that moment, I didn't realize at the time, um, that she was talking to my inner child, but in that moment, something inside of me just broke open and just it was like you need to listen to her you need to pull her into your lap and let her have these emotions and over time i've realized that that was my inner child talking to me that was my inner child saying you needed this love you needed this space to feel these emotions um and so that was like the defining moment that was the moment that really kick-started my own healing and started me on this journey of how do I heal the things that I am bringing into my parenting that are not in alignment with who I am or who I want to be or the parent I want to be for my daughter. Wow, I'm getting really emotional right now. (laughs) I feel like that, you know, that is really powerful. I mean, children are probably our best teachers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They expose what's going on within you if you're able to see it i didn't Mm -hmm. i mean i you know my daughter did it was the week before i was actually going into treatment my husband and i had decided that i was going to go into a treatment center for childhood sexual abuse that he just discovered the that week before and he was like we're we're gonna we're gonna work on this um And I was really just so overwhelmed and my daughter was screaming at my son and I, I, I got upset and I told her to stop screaming at him. And then she literally, I I think she was five and she said, all you do is yell at us. And that is where I'm learning it from. How do you expect me to not yell at him when that's what you do to, but I was just like, I'm ready to go into treatment now. (laughs) I need to go into treatment now. And that was really, that was really eye-opening for me, for her to Mm -hmm. say that, because it was like, you're right. And my parents yelled at me, like, that was standard. Like, like, if they're just a little upset, it was just screaming. And like, Mm -hmm. that is how I responded. And, and, you know, I spent so much of my life saying, I'm not going to be my parents. Um, (laughs) And then I became them. (laughs) And so that was, that was a problem for me. Um, But you talk about inner child work. I, I, you know, I've talked about inner child work in the past, but for people who don't really understand that whole idea of inner child, um, the inner child, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so your inner child is, so every one of us has an inner child, whether you are connected to it and you're aware that it's there or not. Um, it was, it developed between birth and the ages of seven or eight. Um, and it's the part of you that stores all of your childhood emotional experiences. So when we are children, we are completely dependent upon our caregivers for food, water, shelter, connection, right? We have this, all of those things are needed for survival and connection and attachment to our caregivers are the biggest need for survival. Um, And so as children, we intuitively know this. 
And so anything that threatens that connection with our caregivers gets quieted down and pushed away and it's stored in in some part of our body. Um, and that part becomes our inner child. And any emotions that were too overwhelming or emotions that we didn't have a trusted caregiver or an adult to help walk us through that process of, of releasing the emotion, of accepting the emotion, of letting it move through our body, all of that gets stored inside of the inner child. I also believe that our inner child stores our parents' shadow as well. It is very unlikely that our parents have done any healing um, on their on their shadows. And so all of that gets passed down in the ways that they teach us about the world in what their expectations of us were. That is all based on their own shadows and their own childhood experiences. Um, and then so now as an adult, any experience that you have is first filtered through that inner child, whether it's wounded or healed when you have an input of an emotion or an input of, of a stimulus and then you have an emotional response to it it is your inner child that is emotionally responding to the situation in front of you and so that's why you can find yourself you know you're saying that like you would always yell at your kids well that is what your your inner child has stored like this is how we parent this is when a child is misbehaving, we have to shut that down and we shut that down by yelling. Um, and so your reaction to them was actually coming from this wounded place of say a five-year-old or a six-year-old um, instead of like your mature adult self. You know, my, I was just at a conference this past weekend and my husband and I were talking to, um, he's a neural sequential specialist, basically the um, how the brain develops through diff the different ages and when trauma trauma takes hold and it it actually matters how you you heal you know it, it, my husband and I were just talking to him and he said something that was so profound my husband and I were like wow he said imagine your parents as your grandparents children and I was mm. like yes that and actually I just got that full body chills right that i mean you should have seen me and my husband we were just like wow that was so profound like and we we couldn't stop talking about it and and in all reality when i did my own personal healing with my um when it came to my father and the the sexual abuse i actually so it was through a psychedelic experience um with my um with with a guide and integration with therapist um, but I saw my father's childhood and I saw it play out and the, the abuse that he endured mm -hmm. and that while I don't, I don't know if forgiveness is the word, but I forgave myself for, for putting that pressure on me that like this, it was all my fault, mm -hmm. but I was able to look at, through this lens of compassion Mm -hmm. And see his dart, his the, his shadows, right? Like mm -hmm. that was, uh, and and so with you said, what an amazing explanation you had for the inner child because that is everything. <laughs> that is everything, <laughs> especially when you're parenting. Um, I want to talk about breaking. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I know. I I was part of the work that I do with my clients is this. Um, family history exploration because i do think that there is such profound healing in understanding our 
parents' experiences. I know for me, I harbored so much resentment towards my parents. Mm -hmm. And then when I sat down and really dove into their childhoods, it was, oh, you had you didn't know any better you had no idea because of how you were raised and this type of work really wasn't mainstream back i mean it's it's still not mainstream now but it's certainly making its way there um and and so it it afforded me again like you said like maybe not forgiveness but that grace and compassion for who they were as parents based on how they were raised and so it it truly I, I love that that was part of your your healing journey as well. Yeah, it, it, I it, it really changed everything because I did hold a lot of anger for me to um, show compassion. It allowed me to release that anger and I didn't parent from this angry place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that that was extremely helpful. Um, you talk about gen- breaking generational cycles. Wow, what? What a responsibility, but what an amazing responsibility it is. Um, can you talk about these generational cycles and the risks of not breaking them and, you know, the the rewards, but also the work that goes into it? Yeah. So generational cycles, it, if you are... Um, not intentionally parenting, if you are not conscious of your patterns, you are subconsciously bringing in all of the ways that you were parented as a child. And so, like you just said, if you think of your parents as your grandparents' children, and then you think of your grandparents, if you had the privilege of knowing your great-grandparents as their children, you can start to see these patterns that get passed down from generation to generation. Um, You probably heard the saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that was a saying that was said uh, almost every day in our house that that it just like, oh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, Tina's doing that that thing that that her mom does. And there are some things that, you know, you're, you're going to continue to do just because like my mom is an incredibly organized and very scheduled person with with a very strict routine. And that is something that works really well for me and also works well for young kids. They thrive in routine, right? And so I keep that part alive. But I also had the privilege of looking at the family history and seeing these, um, we don't talk about important things. If something major happens, it's just like, well, we have to put on a brave face and we don't talk about it. And we pretend that everything is fine, right? You just shove it under the rug. That is a, a family pattern that has got passed down generation after generation after generation. And for me, it is something that when a major event happens that is either uncomfortable or definitely needs to be talked about, I can find myself really hesitant to start that conversation. And I constantly have to remind myself, this is important. This needs to be talked about because if you're not talking about it, your child is associating their own meaning to it from the lens of a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old, right? They don't understand the nuances of adulthood and relationships and and parenting and, and whatever. And so you have to help them through this. And so 
when we ignore those patterns and we just assume like, oh, well, that's just who I am. That's just the way things are. And we don't challenge those beliefs and thoughts about ourselves. We are passing down programming to our children. And essentially what's going to happen is that either your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren are going to have to face this. This is not going to go away. Whatever it is that you are ignoring, you're passing it down for your the future generations to heal and process. Yes, and you definitely, I mean, for me, I, it was very important for me to not pass that down. And, and you know, it's interesting, someone also, something I, 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 in looking up and doing some research, I found that 90, it's 95% of our behavior is dictated by our subconscious behavior. Basically, mm-hmm. these learned behaviors that we didn't realize we learned. And only 5% is all, um, conscious awareness. Um, and so I'm I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, this that's all programming. Program mm-hmm. that we, you know, we didn't realize was programming. It's just repetitive behavior that you just kind of t- took on your, yourself. Um what is the what type of work do you do with the inner child is it is it you know for me i had to do i did internal family systems therapy mm-hmm. um is there other work with, that dives into inner child work that kind of intersects so as a coach i'm ethically can't practice the inner the uh, inner internal family systems um i love that therapy um i've done it myself i I'm often um, with my therapist and I'm like, okay, so let's do some parts therapy yeah, (laughs) Um, because it is so fascinating. Um, But as an inner child healing coach, one of the things that I do, um, the the first step is really awareness. Um, So I really encourage clients to start to build their awareness around the things that they say often, the things that they do, you know, what are your reactions in certain situations? If you walk into your child's room and it's a disaster, how do you react? Mm. And then build it, just building up this awareness, like this knowledge about yourself. And then when you're outside of the moment, it's taking that awareness and saying, well, why did I react that way? Or why does the mess cause me to feel unsettled? And where in my body do I feel that unsettled feeling? Um, or where do I feel that anger? Where am I carrying it? Is it in my, is it in my stomach? Is it in my jaws and in my chest? Like what is going on physically for me in these moments? Um, because the more awareness that we can bring to our physical body, the more we're able to notice the signs when we're starting to feel unsettled and we can start to break that cycle in the moment, right? We can't just decide like, oh, I'm just not going to do that thing, right? You said like, oh, I, here's all these things that I'm not going to do as a parent. And then all of a sudden you're a parent and you're like, wait a second, I'm more <laughs> like my mom than I thought I was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and and so it, when we start to bring awareness to what is going on for us in those moments, we can then start to intentionally break that cycle. Um for me one of like you said i'm a yeller um i will my first response to every situation is anger (laughs) everything um is it is like i can have this explosive anger and i have worked to notice like where in my body am i carrying that 
anger. And so I could wake up in the morning and notice like, oh, my jaw is really tight and my chest is feeling like it's in knots. So let me just be really careful about how I move through my day because those are signs that I could step on a logo and I will lose my head. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and so when that moment ha- happens during the day, when I step on the, on the Lego, it's, I'm able to say, oh, you knew that you were on edge today. Take a deep breath. Let's go splash some cold water on, on our face. Let's do something to shift your energy so that you can come back to this moment and calmly ask your daughter to clean up her Legos instead of screaming and yelling that she never listens and she doesn't clean up and you don't care for your toys and like like all the things that come out of your mouth when mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're in a yeah. fit of rage. Um, so, so for me, the biggest thing is helping clients to build that awareness. Um, and then from there, it's, it's creating like a, an actionable plan so that they can rewrite the ending of how the story is going to go in that moment. And then once they have enough practice with that, then we start to explore what's going on underneath. What's the message there? What, when your child's room is a disaster, what message does that send to you? Does it send that they don't respect the toys that you buy them? Like they don't care that you have worked hard for them to provide them all of these toys? What is going on for you in that moment? And then can we connect that back to a childhood experience when you may have first heard that message that you don't respect anything that I do for you, you don't Mm. care for for whatever it is. And then it's in that moment, can we understand where our parents were coming from? Can we understand their experience of that situation and relieve ourselves of that responsibility that this was my fault, that I did something specific um, to deserve this reaction from my parents? Um, Because the truth is like, no, nothing that you did as a child deserved any sort of reaction from your parents. You were an innocent child experiencing life and free. You know, children are free. They're they're so connected to their their intuition and they do what feels best to them, what makes them happy, what's going to keep them connected to that joy. And so they don't really care what it is that, you know, with that they're supposed to do or how they're supposed to behave because if it's not in alignment with that, then then that's just how that's how they're going to act. And so you didn't deserve the reaction from your parent that you got. It was not your fault. Wow. You know, that's so interesting. So what, so I'm <laughs> going to ask you some personal questions about what's going on in my house. So, you know, my husband and I, you know, after we, we talked to this, this person who's, who mentioned, you know, look at your parents as your grandparents, children, I, we, we, we looked at each other after, you know, after that conversation was over and we're like, we need to do better. Like we need to do better. Um, I mean, I feel like I've done like so much better since I went into my, my, when, since I started my healing journey, but there are those moments still where I'm just like, please pick up your toys or please get your shoes on. We have to leave. Um, and it's just not happening. And then I'm like, I start getting triggered and I, you know, and I'm just like, put your, you put your damn shoes on. Um, but you know, my husband and I are like, okay, let's just, we, let's, let's talk to them calmly. And so we have been in the last week, just 
even though they, I feel like they've been pushing back. I'm like, is this, this, is this, is this stuff from like what we were doing, what, you know, our own stuff that we had been dealing with before? Because yesterday I was like, honey, I, I just, you know, why could, you know, we already got in the car, we already dropped off my daughter at dance and we're on our way home. And I'm like, cause I got really upset cause my son wouldn't put his shoes on. And I was like, honey, why, why, why did it take you so long to put on your shoes? And he's like, because I was eating bread <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> OK, but you knew we had to leave. So why couldn't you could, couldn't you have put your, your bread down? And then you would have gotten it when we got back. And he's like, I didn't want to. And I'm like, I don't know how mm. to respond to this. So how what is it? How can I prevent? I don't think I said anything too terrible to him. I think I would have probably like thrown him in the car without his shoes like five years ago. But um what is what could i have done in that moment especially if i was like feeling triggered do i just like let it go or do i address it more how does that work <laughs> so they, that's the dance of parenthood right yeah. <laughs> it's especially when you're trying to parent differently and you're really trying to stay attuned to to who your child is and their authenticity. I mean, your your son, well, I was eating my bread, right? Like that is like exactly what, what I'm saying that like he was doing something that was more enjoyable to him than putting right. on shoes. And he doesn't care that you have to leave. Right. Um, and so it, it is finding that balance of teaching our kids to stay true to themselves. And also there are going to be times in life where we have to meet an expectation or a responsibility or a deadline where we don't necessarily buy into it, but that's part of adulthood, right? I mean, I would love for the world to change completely where yes. that if we, if there's something that we don't want to do, then we don't have to do it, right? Like I probably wouldn't pay my electric bill, <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. but there are these we have responsibilities as human beings that we have to abide by certain expectations mm -hmm. in order to be a part of society. Right. Now, I, the question that I would ask, and, and I, you know, what's funny is that I've had these similar moments with my children. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was Halloween. Um, and my daughter wanted to be outside with no shoes on and it was <laughs> like 40 degrees outside. And I decided in that moment that, you know what, when her feet get cold, she's going to put her shoes on and I'm, I'm just going to let it go. And so, but my mom was here and my mom uh, was like, you need to put your shoes on. And my mom like came down on her and was like, you're not coming out of this house until your shoes are on. And I was like, actually, there it mom, is. <laughs> <laughs> actually, this is how we're going to do it. And so the question that I would throw back at you when you are asking your child, you know, you need to put your shoes on so you can get in the car and put your shoes on, put your shoes on. I said to put your shoes on before you get there, asking yourself, is it necessary for them to put their shoes on? Is it a big deal that they walk out of the house from the front door to the car with no shoes? Could I just bring the shoes with us? And so when he realizes, huh, we're about to walk in this store and I don't have any shoes on, I should, I should put shoes on my feet, that the shoes are there for them. And you know, it, it, like I said, it's this tricky dance because then, you know, are you enabling your child to do whatever right. they want? That's what right. I'm or, about. or are you really helping them to stay in alignment with like, my shoes really don't feel good on my feet right now. And so I'm just not going to wear them or I'll put my shoes on when I'm done with my bread. And so if that means that I'm carrying my shoes out to the car while I'm eating the bread in the, my other hand, 
is that that big of a deal. Um, and so with situations like that, I would ask you to reflect on why is this important to me right now? And is there a way that I can get my need met while also supporting my child in this moment and having like a safety net in the background for him? That's so interesting because he didn't need to put his shoes on. <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest. <laughs> I went, we we went to we went in the car to pick up for my daughter's friend and bring my daughter and her friend to dance. And he just was sat in the car. So actually, he probably didn't need to put his shoes on. Um, so that that's that that's that's great. But yeah, I, I, I'm interested that in the enabling part, because it's like, you know, when my kids ask, ask to watch TV, I don't typically let them watch TV during the week. There's so many mm-hmm. things to do, homework, clean up, help me with dinner, all of the things. But when they're begging to watch like a show and I'm like, no, that's not what we that's we're not we don't watch shows during the week. Um, and there's so much to do. And then they start throwing a fit. How do you respond to that? Because you know that that's so unnecessary, at least for in my at least for for me, because there's so many do your homework. Right. Um, so the way that I approach that and and I, this has come up many times with my clients and and my coaching with them is acknowledging how disappointed they are. I know that you really want to watch this show and I know that it's really tough. It's Tuesday. And the, the rule that we have in our house is that we don't watch TV during the week. Maybe we can go and set the DVR so we could record it and we could watch it on Friday night, right? Like, so you offer them this, this little bit of, I see you, I hear that you're upset here's what we can do. Here's a suggestion. Now, depending on your child, that might not work. And it's depending on the age too, right? Because if I said mm-hmm. that to my toddler, like he's, no, that's not going to fly. He, <laughs> exactly. he wants trash truck and he wants it right now. Um, <laughs> but if the more you do this, the more your kids will start to respond to it. Um, I'll give you an example. My, we just bought for the first time ever, we bought, um, matching pajamas for Christmas. And it's something that like for years, I'm like, Oh, that's so cute. I want to do that. And, but then never, never did it. And this year I said, no, we're, we're going to do it. And they came and my daughter was so excited. And one of the reasons why I decided to do it this year is because she is getting older and she's turning 11 next week. And, and I'm, very aware that her wanting to do things like this is mm-hmm. that window of time is really starting to to close. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, let's do it this year just because I don't want to have to fight her to get into the pajamas next year. Right. Um, and so the pajamas came and she was so excited and she wanted to wear the pajamas. Like, Can I have them now? And I said, no, we're, these are Christmas pajamas. We're going to have them, you know, after the holidays. Well, but why can't I wear them now? And I had to go through this whole back and forth and I stopped and I asked myself, well, why can't she have them now? And I realized, well, because I want to take a cute Christmas picture that doesn't have a stained shirt or a wrinkled shirt or discolored. And so I said to her, look, on Thanksgiving, we will put our pajamas on. We will take this picture and then you can have the pajamas. That's it. They're yours. You're, I'm not going to make you wait until Christmas. I understand that you're really disappointed that you want these pajamas right now. We can have them next Thursday. And she was like, okay fine right like she was still disappointed but she understood oh mom actually has a very valid reason here for why she doesn't want me to wear these pajamas 
the next morning she said to me, you know, mom, I'm not that messy and I could still have clean pajamas next week. And I was like, maybe, except you are messy. (laughs) (laughs) And so then it became like this lighthearted moment, but I acknowledged her feelings in, in my house growing up, it would have been, I told you to take those pajamas off that we are not having those pajamas. And if you keep it up, you're not going to get the pajamas at all, right? That would have been the conversation, if you can call that a conversation. But instead, I tapped into my daughter's, what my daughter was feeling, acknowledge it, reflect it back to her, because then she feels seen. They feel understood and like, oh, my mom actually does understand how I'm feeling. They do under, they do get what this feels like. And so maybe I don't have to push so hard for this thing. Wow. What a great example. Yes, that is a wonderful example. And then you compromised, right? You didn't have to wait till Christmas, you know. So, so, but you got what you needed, what the, your purpose for for the pajamas, and you know, gave her time that she can, you know, put them on before. Um, so, I think that that's that's wonderful, right there. And it it just makes me wonder, like all of the things that I could be talking to my daughter about, and just you know. Growing up, you know, I I was lucky because I had a friend who was who had parents who really listened to their child. Like I was not like if I like if I pushed back, that was I was automatically like you're talking back to me. You're disrespecting me. This is mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. Um, when I then I would see my friend and she would gently argue like i don't think that's right Be- and then her mom would literally just say well why why do you think that what um this rule is wrong or why do you think that i should say yes instead of no and it was like this is so weird like <laughs> she's asking her what and then and then she would give her argument and sometimes her mom would change her mind sometimes she didn't but sometimes her mom would say okay well i think i could trust you if you believe whatever and i'm like my mind was just blown. And I think that was one of the, that was like my insight into, oh, the world isn't the way it is in my, in my house, Mm -hmm. um, where I can't ask questions. I can't basically say anything. Like if I I remember being, uh, being made fun of for being the why child, I asked some questions. Mm -hmm. I, why, why? And then they'd be like, oh, this is Lori Lee. This is yada yada's friend. She's the why girl don't worry, you just tell her to go play kind of thing. And that was how they, how adults treated me. And- when, when you just said that, I, I just had this, this download, this, I've remembered that I was the why girl too in the family. And one of the, the things that was said to me was, are you writing a book? Uh, Le- leave right. that chapter out, right? That's, that was what, they their response to me was and so it's just it's because it 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 was very much the same way of we don't talk about things we don't Mm -hmm. ask questions you just do exactly Um, and yeah Hmm. fascinating right so it's interesting the work that we're doing with our inner child and then we can just download and drop into like all these these moments that really dictate because you know i was talking to my therapist the other day and i said 
you know, I was, the, you know, I, I, to, I was actually talking specifically about this moment of being the why girl and why I'm so scared to ask questions when I'm in a group setting. Like I, when I'm one-on-one I, mm -hmm. with you, I could talk to you, but when I'm in a group setting, I always feel very anxious to ask questions because I was always made fun of for asking the questions and being curious. Mm -hmm. and, and that was, that was really hard. And it's like, you don't know the, what the, the mental, damage you're doing as an adult to just dismiss a child it's mm -hmm. look i'm like I'm, I'm i'm going into my 40s and i'm just not i'm 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 like wow this is stuff that happened when i was five years old and here i am still trying to undo that type of damage mm -hmm. and it's, it's it's really difficult it 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 really is um and also i think part I had this moment um, a couple of months ago where I started feeling like really down on like, there's no finish line here. Like you're going to continue just pull back the layers. Like when you think that like, oh, I've, I've got it. Your child is going to hit a new stage and they're going mm. to activate something else in you. And you're going to be like, I thought I handled this. Right. And, and so it's like this spiral healing of like, you're, you first see it when your child is a toddler, you either shove it down and ignore it and it comes back, you know, 10 times worse, mm -hmm. um, or you handle it at that level and then they reach the next stage and it just like opens up the next layer and it just digs just a little bit deeper. And so it's like this continuing um, leveling up. I, I, once I got through this like panic of like, oh my gosh, this, this is never going to end. This is going to be the rest of my life that I am uh. having to, to heal. I realized that it's like, no, it's kind of like a video game that, you know, you come in at the first level and you have a, you know, very minimal skills. And then as you go through each level, you're picking up all of these different resources and the different tools and you meet new characters who then introduce you to somebody else who's going to, you know, present another challenge for you, but it's all so that you can level up and you just keep leveling up. And so while you may think that this is a situation that like, all right, but I've already dealt with this and this, this shouldn't be something it's no, like you need to deal with it at a deeper level and yeah. heal, heal this thing. Like I, like I just had this, that, that download of, oh, are you writing a book? No, <laughs> leave that chapter out that like, oh, and then you're saying like, I don't like speaking up in groups. I don't like asking questions. And that is very much my experience. And so now I'll take that and, and sit with it and meditate on it and really work with, well, what's the message here? What needs to be released? What do I need to give my per myself permission to do so that I can let go of that message of you're, you're annoying when you ask questions or, mm. you, you know, everybody knows the answer to this question. So why are you asking it? Wow. Yep. I mean, this is, this is like our, it's a constant struggle. It's a constant, but you have the tools now, like you were saying, mm -hmm. you know, you had minimal tools. Now you're just doing deeper work and yeah, it's it. And you know, you're going to work on your inner child, then you're going to go into your inner teenager and it's going to be a whole <laughs> new thing. And I feel like, <laughs> It always coincides with your child's age. This is what I mm -hmm. what I hear and mm -hmm. has been correct so far. So um Tina, is there anything that I um I haven't touched on that you think would be important for um our audience? 
So one thing that I want to bring up about the inner child um, and childhood experiences is that you, some of your listeners might, I mean, you're, this is a, a trauma uh, podcast, so maybe not. Um, but oftentimes I have people say to me, but I had a great childhood. Mm -hmm. My parents, my parents were awesome. Um, you know, every like, sure, there was like little things here and there, but you know, everything was fine. You don't need to have had a major trauma in order for you to be carrying childhood wounds. There are things, the micro traumas that, you know, things like a comment that somebody made, like, say you got like a really cool sweater for your birthday and you were so excited to wear it to school. And then when you got to school, the cool girl in school made fun of it. And then you crumpled up that sweater and you threw it away and you wanted nothing to do with it. That emotion that you felt stays with you, right? That is, it was a one-time thing, but it was a micro trauma. It was an emotion that was so overwhelming for your system that you couldn't process it. You were so embarrassed. You felt so much shame and you're, that left a wound. It's like a scar that you're carrying there. And if you don't bring these things to the surface, if you don't acknowledge that feeling that you have when somebody you know, makes a joke when you're an adult, you know, maybe you're in college and somebody makes a joke about your shirt and like suddenly you find yourself like overcome with emotion. That's not so much because your friend made a joke about your shirt. It's because of the wound that you're carrying from your childhood. And so what I want for listeners to take away is that you could have had the most amazing parents who would give you everything that they possibly could and you could still be carrying you are still carrying childhood wounds that are driving some of your behaviors as an adult yeah you know that just reminded me i mean my, my parents were were awful growing up i think you know my mother has is, is evolving but you know even if they were perfect parents, you know, they're like, I remember in, in middle school, this one, the one of the cool girls was like, Oh, Lori Lee, you're so cute. I'm very short. I'm like, I'm, I'm 411. I say four and 11 and a half, but I'm 411. <laughs> but she would say, Lori Lee, you are so cute. But if you were, you were taller, you'd be pretty. Like this is, mm -hmm. and I always, I carried that in. Like I would wear heels when I was very uncomfortable because I didn't, even then, even when I wore heels, I'm still short. So it's like when I don't wear heels, I'm like very insecure. And I, and I always remember that person saying that. So yes, mm -hmm. these micro traumas are real. And, you know, I have spoken to people who are like, I had such a blessed childhood, but then they're going back and they're like, actually, this happened. This is, I have abandonment issues for other reasons. And, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like everyone has struggled. Everyone struggles with some sort of trauma, whether it's a micro trauma, which I feel like we don't talk enough about because mm -hmm. they are, they are powerful. And, 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 you know, I, I think they need to be addressed because like you said, and, you know, the the whole idea that 95% of our behaviors are dictated by our subconscious and you, and you don't know that that's in your subconscious um, in that experience. So thank you for that. Yes, I, absolutely. And I think um, one of the, the main micro trauma traumas that I work with um, is childhood emotional neglect. And I don't necessarily like the word neglect because when you think neglect, you think of major trauma. Um, but essentially, when you think back on your childhood, if you think about um, how your emotions were handled in the family, 
if they were shut down or ignored and dismissed, you experienced a micro trauma of an emotional neglect that your emotional needs were not met. And so what I see in a lot of my clients and just being out in the world and observing is that a majority of us, the micro trauma that we're carrying is that we don't have that emotional awareness. We don't understand what, um, how to process our emotions, how to feel our emotions because we were never taught when we were kids. Um, and because, and that, that is a micro trauma. Wow. Wow. Well, Tina, thank you so much for joining me and just providing all of the wisdom. Uh, I, I mean, I know that I got a lot of help just listening to you. And so I'm, I'm super grateful for having you on. Thank you again so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, That was Tina Hamilton, an inner child healing coach and founder of The Healing Parent. She's also our monthly contributor for our parenting point of view uh, for Authentic Insider Magazine. For more information on Tina and The Healing Parent, check out the show notes. March's issue of Authentic Insider is out. Check out Authentic Insider at TraumaSurvivorThriver.com and find her pieces. That's TraumaSurvivorThriver.com. As well as you can check out past episodes of a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list to get Authentic Insider magazine in your inbox monthly. We will be back next week when I speak with Arlene Hagwist, a sexual abuse survivor herself, an attorney specializing in sexual harassment, discrimination, retaliation, and wrongful termination against women. We will discuss her story, the amazing work she is doing to help women, and her book, Fired Up, Fueling Triumph from Trauma. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. I'm Lori Lee Benstock. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. Take care.